0: Now, this little section in Mark's Gospel represents kind of a change of pace. Something's beginning to happen. Jesus is beginning to prepare His disciples for the cross. Up to this point, Jesus has shown that He is indeed the Son of God. He's shown that He has the authority of God to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. He has the authority to forgive sins, something that only God can do. And so, so these guys, the, 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 the disciples saw that Jesus was indeed the Christ, that is, God's, God's chosen king. In fact, a few verses before this is when Peter makes that declar- declaration. Jesus asked the disciples a question, Well, who do you say that I am? And, and he said, Peter said, You're the Christ, the Son of God. And so the, they recognize him as being the Son of God, they recognize him as this, this person, this Messiah. But now he's beginning to talk about the cross, talking about the necessity of his own death and resurrection. And this is hard for them. It's far, hard for them to think about this. They, they, they don't actually get it. In fact, it says in verse, it says in verse uh, 31 that he began to teach them these things. Now, it's interesting because what, what's going on here is Jesus wants to make sure they understand that the cross has always been God's plan, and that all of His sufferings that He's going to go through, they're going to have a purpose. That's why He's warning them about His sufferings. He wants to predict all these sufferings beforehand so they know this is all part of God's plan for the Messiah, of God's plan to bring His goodness to His people. Now, notice what He says in verse 31 about what He has to suffer. He has to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. What, 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 what purpose does that serve? Well, if you remember, it was the, these elders, these chiefs, these, these scribes, who, who kind of got together and plotted to have Jesus crucified. It was them that mocked Jesus the most at His crucifixion. And it was these to, that Jesus prayed about when He says, as He's on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is important to think about because the purpose that Jesus has in being rejected is to demonstrate the very extent of God's forgiveness, that God's willing to forgive even those who have mocked Him, even those who have wanted His death. But He says also that that Son of Man is going to have to be killed and then three days later rise from the dead. God has a purpose in this. What's the purpose in doing this? It's to provide the means of God's forgiveness. It's only through what Christ has done that we can be forgiven. The Bible says this in Colossians 1.14, In God's beloved Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's only in Christ's death and in His resurrection that we can know that God's forgiven us. When we forgive somebody else, we have to absorb what they've done against us. And sometimes what people have done against us seems so heinous, so difficult, we think, I can't forgive that. I can't absorb that much. But when Christ is on the cross, He's absorbing our sin for us. All the things that we have done against Him, all the ways that we've neglected Him, all the ways we've refused to live uh, in His ways. But also, He did this openly as it says that He began to do this. Later on in Mark's gospel in Mark 9.31, Jesus will say this again to His disciples. It says, for Jesus taught His disciples and said to them, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill Him. And after He is killed, He will rise the third day. Pretty plain. Next chapter over, He says it again in Mark chapter 10. He says, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem to his disciples, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Over and over and over, Jesus says, "This is what's going to happen to me. This is what must happen to me. This is all part of God's plan. Now, it's interesting because when he says this, of course, in verse 32, what happens? He's saying this openly. He, he continues to repeat this. People are hearing what he's saying. And Peter says, Jesus, come here. I, I want to talk to you. He pulls him aside and he says, what are you doing? This is bad PR. No one wants to follow a king who's going to be crucified. This doesn't make any sense. You're the Messiah. You, we saw you raise the dead. We've seen you calm storms. Who could possibly crucify you? How could the Romans ever overcome you? But what happens? Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus turns around and rebukes him. It's interesting, too, doesn't it? Look what it says. It says in verse 33 that when Jesus turned around and looked at the disciples, and the idea there is the disciples are thinking the same thing Peter's thinking. So he's telling all these guys the same thing. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. See, Peter thinks Jesus is getting God's plan wrong. Now you're missing it. You're the Messiah, man. You're going to rule the world. You're going to bring peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That's what the angel said at your birth. And Jesus is saying, well, you don't understand. This has to happen. This has to happen. I must be crucified. I must be rejected. I must rise from the dead or God's plan isn't going to come to pass. You see, Jesus rebukes Peter because he recognizes that Peter's resistance to this plan of death and resurrection, Jesus' resistance to this, listen, it's satanic. It's demonic. And I don't want to to make anybody here feeling too uncomfortable or weirded out by this, but I want to make a really clear statement From my perspective, looking at what the Scripture says, if you are resisting this truth about who Jesus is as a crucified and risen Messiah, it's because the enemy is blinding your eyes. And we are praying he takes those blinders off. You know, in fact, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it's 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 imperative. It's totally clear that this has always been God's plan. Here's how Jesus is described in Revelation thirteen eight: the Lamb who was slaughtered. Notice before the world was made. Before God creates the world, he says, okay, I'm going to make this world. He knows exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to make this world of people who have free will. They can choose to do what they want. They will choose to rebel against me. They will choose to reject me. They will mess themselves up. But I have a plan to redeem them all, anyone who's willing. I will send my only begotten son in a very real sense. I will clothe myself in human flesh, and I will become that lamb that's slain. For them, slaughtered for them. No, the cross was always God's plan. Now, Peter's resisting this, but then Jesus wants to make this clear. So He He gets He gets everyone together. It says in verse 34: when he had called the people, that is, this multitude of people that were listening to him teach. They liked what he had to say. They liked that he could do the miracles, especially when he provided free lunch. That was always good. And so he called the people together with his disciples also, and he said to them, this is important, he's saying to everyone who's listening, he says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is interesting. Because what he's saying here, he's making it very clear, Mark's making it really clear, this is something that is required of all people. This idea, whatever it means to pick up your cross and deny yourself, we'll talk about what that means in a second, but whatever it means, it's clear, it's required of all people. Anyone who says, you know what, I want to put my faith in this Jesus guy, well, here's what it looks like to put your faith in this Jesus guy. Here's what it looks like. Now, we hear this, and we automatically try to, we, we think, okay, the cross here is some sort of metaphor, and it is, it is, we'll talk about what that metaphor means in a second, but when they heard this, when this audience heard this, they were scandalized. The cross, as you know, was a method of Roman execution, the most shameful method of Roman execution, so shameful, so hideous, so torturous that Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. The Jews saw this as a curse. If you were crucified, man, maybe, maybe God doesn't love you after all. So when Jesus says, listen, you like that, you like that I have the authority of God, you, you think I'm the Messiah, God's chosen king, you're right, here's what it's going to look like to follow after me. Here's what it's going to look like. You're going to have to be willing to be executed in the most shameful way possible. Scandal. Now, the, the reality is, Jesus is not saying that our physical death or martyrdom is necessary for us to have a relationship with Him. That's not what He's saying. He's definitely using the cross in this point as a metaphor, and He's definitely wanting to shock these guys into understanding. What He's talking about here. He's saying that, listen, notice what he says, whoever comes after me, let him deny himself. Now, this is not just like self-denial as in like, you know what, I won't have the last piece of cake. I'll let my wife have it. See how I bear my cross for Jesus? This is not what he's talking about. That might be a way that you are demonstrating the love of Jesus, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about, listen, he's talking about letting go of our self-determination he's talking about saying i no longer get to choose what my life is for my life now belongs to jesus that's what he's talking about this is normal christianity this is what god calls everybody to who says they want to put their faith in jesus In fact, notice what he says in verse 35. He says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. What it means here, this idea of us picking up our cross, what it means is, it means we are surrendering to God's plan through Jesus. See, not only has the cross always been God's plan, but the cross has always been our path if we want to call ourselves Christians. If we're going to be Jesus followers, God's called all of us to walk that path. So, was, so what does it mean? What does this mean to, okay, I'm surrendering to God's plans through Jesus? Well, let's look at some of the words he used. He says, um, he says in verse 35, whoever desires to save his life must lose it. So there's definitely a, a, an attitude here that says the, the, the condition goes all the way to the point of the condition of surrender is to the point of death. You have to be willing to lay down your life. And we've seen this happen, haven't we? Now, I don't know if you realize this, but there's more uh, believers in Jesus who have been crucified in the last decade than there ever were in the previous, all the previous decades for the last 2,000 years. People who have had to die because they believed for Jesus. He does call us to be willing to go that far if it's required. But it's easy for us to say, in this country, I would die for Jesus because no one's threatening us. I mean, I don't even get threatened physically half the time. It just doesn't happen, does it? But what he's also talking about, listen, he says, whoever loses his life for my sake. What is he talking about there? He's talking about this exchange of life. Notice he says you lose your life, but then you gain your life if if you give it up for him. He's talking about the life we think we can produce on our own. I can make a life for myself, and we do this even as Christians. I can make a life for myself. I have a vision for my life that is about my comfort and my happiness and what I think is going to make me satisfied. And if you walk with Jesus for any length of time, you know when you pursue those things, they don't satisfy. And he's comparing that. He's contrasting it with his vision for life. The life that he has now we look at the life of jesus on earth and we do see persecution suffering we like the, the miracles and the, and the popularity that he had for a season we like all that but don't forget he was obscure until he starts his ministry about 30 33 years old and then when he starts his ministry yeah he has a, has a period of of popularity but after a while people think he's a bit odd he says things that are a little bit too challenging and then eventually of course He's crucified by by some of the same crowd that thought He was so wonderful before. So we look at His earthly life and we think, that's the life I'm going to have? But we forget something. Jesus' life does not begin at Christmas. The life of Christ that we're talking about is this life, this existence that He's always had with God the Father for eternity past. It's this perfect, loving relationship that He's always enjoyed that motivates Him, that motivates God to create the world and then redeem the world. It's what we exist for. God made us so that we could enjoy Him. So when Jesus says, here's the life you gain, he's talking about, you get what I get. I have this relationship with God that no one else has ever experienced, and in me, you get that. That's what you get. You say, oh man, that sounds good. A life with Jesus, I think I want that. So we laying down our lives for his sake means, okay, Lord, I want you. I want you more than I want all the other things that I might want to want. But he also says, listen, laying down your life for the gospel's sake. What's the gospel? It's the message about who this Jesus is. It's it's what we're talking about today. It's it's, it's that message. It's that truth that sets people free. It means laying down our life for Jesus. Lord, I want people to know Jesus. I want that to be what motivates me to work hard. I want that to be what motivates me to love my family. I want that to be what motivates me to be a good neighbor. I want people to know Jesus. He says when you do that, then that's when you save your life because that's when you get to have a life like Jesus. You know what the psalmist says about the Messiah? The psalmist says that that He is anointed with the oil of joy above His peers. Do you know why so many of us, and I'm talking to you guys who already profess to be Christians now, do you know why so many of us are so miserable all the time? Because we don't walk the path of the cross. <laughs> we think, I can just make my life better. If I, if I just was this much better financially or this much better relationally, if I had just these things in life, then I'd be happy. And It's like, no, it doesn't, that's not what Jesus said. He said, if, do you want me? Do you want the life that you see in me, the relationship that I have with the Father? Do you want these things? Pick up your cross and follow me. See, what what did Paul say in Galatians chapter 2? Paul says, my old self, that is my old life, has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That could be translated, who loves me. And gave himself for me. Paul knew something that so few of us as Christians seem to ever get to. He knew that the way to have the joy of Jesus is to surrender to the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's to walk the cross path. That's always been the way it is. Now, The cross has always been God's plan. It's always been the Christian's path. But also, listen, this is important. Jesus gets really serious here. The cross determines our destiny. Look what he says in verse 36. He asks two questions in verse 36 and 37. He says, what's going to profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or he says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What's Jesus saying? He's just talked about... It's necessary for him to go to the cross. He has to be crucified. He has to be resurrected. Why? To save men's souls. Think about what he's saying here. Why is he asking these questions? He's wanting people to think about what is the value of your soul. How valuable is one human soul to the creator of the universe? Valuable enough to have the Son of God die for it. That's what the cross demonstrates. Some of you are waiting to be so valued by somebody. You're hoping you'll have a boss one day that really value your skills. Or a spouse that will really value your, your beauty or your handsomeness. You're hoping one day I will have someone who will value me this way. No one will ever value this way except for Jesus you're never going to be find a person who can love you like this who would value you like this now here's the thing jesus says in verse 38 whoever is ashamed of me and my words he says in this adulterous and sinful generation he's talking to the people there most of whom would have been jewish most of whom would have recognized him as the Jewish Messiah, God's chosen king. And he's saying, listen, you need to understand. From my perspective, Jesus says, you're a, not a very flattering thing. You're an adulterous and sinful generation. When He says adulterous, he doesn't mean they're all being unfaithful to their spouses. He means they're all unfaithful to God. That's what he means. You've all been unfaithful to God. You're all committed to your sins. Can we be honest? Are we any better in our generation than these people? And Jesus says, listen, if you're ashamed of me and my words, the things that I'm saying to you now about the necessity of the cross, if you're ashamed of these things, then the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus says a similar thing in Matthew chapter 10. He says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him, I will also deny before my Father, who is in heaven. I don't believe Jesus is talking about mouthing the words "I believe in Jesus." Though obviously, if you can't even mouth those words, there's a serious issue there. But when he talks about denying our, ourselves, and he talks about here about denying him, the idea is denying allegiance. To deny Jesus is not to deny his existence necessarily. They'll. It can be that as well. It's denying that He's Lord, that he, He's the creator of the universe who has a right to rule over our lives. That's what we deny. And Jesus says, if you're going to deny that before me, then I'm going to deny you before the Father. Jesus said that. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up, and I know this is a heavy thing to hear, is because this whole idea of the cross, it summarizes the truth that we must trust Good Friday is called Good Friday because the goodness of God is made available to us through this most hideous, shameful act of the cross. Jesus suffered in a a horrible way. Why? So that we can know the goodness of God. That God is so good, He hates all sin. That God is so good, He'll make sure sin is dealt with. That God is so good, He'll forgive even the worst sinner. We can only know that through the cross of Christ. We can only have faith or confidence that we can be right with God through the cross of Christ. This is it. I think the thing is, we see Good Friday as, isn't it nice that Jesus was so willing to sacrifice? What a nice guy. No, it is so much bigger and so much more profound than that the very goodness of God is on display at the cross. Which is why we should be willing to pick up our cross and follow after Him. Because just like with Jesus, the cross doesn't end. The cross leads to the resurrection. And just like with us, picking up our cross is not the end. The end is life. Experience the life of God forever. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 1, He says, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. In a minute, we're going to... Well, actually now the music team can come forward. So when the, as the music team comes back up, I want to read to you a passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians, because in a minute we're going to encourage you that are believers in Jesus to come remember the Lord, to come forward and partake of communion, partake of the Lord's Supper. But before we do this, we're going to, I want to read to you what the Apostle Paul, the one who wasn't ashamed of this good news, what he said about this act of communion. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 and, and onward, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For Paul writes, For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, till he comes. Communion is about us fellowshipping with God, about us being with God, knowing that that relationship only happened through the necessary work of Jesus on the cross. Knowing that it's it's before there's resurrection life, there's first crucifixion death. It's proclaiming his death till he comes. Lord, we believe that's enough. What you did on the cross was enough to pay for our sins. And so we want to proclaim that. We want to remember that. We want to rejoice in that. We want to rest in that until you come back. We want to be motivated by your cross to pick up ours, knowing your resurrection guarantees ours. That's why he says this. Listen. It's not about whether or not we are unworthy people. We know we're unworthy people. It's about are we remembering the Lord, are we remembering His sacrifice in an unworthy manner? Are we taking it lightly? Are we seeing it as optional or do we see it as a, as a blessed necessity that God provided for us? He says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep, that's die." He says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. For when we are judged, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we might not be condemned with the world. Paul is making a distinction between people who believe in Jesus and people who don't. People who believe in Jesus are those that might be chastened by God because they're not valuing the cross like they should. They might go through some difficult things because of that, but they still belong to God. But then there's the world, and the world are those who don't believe in Jesus. People who don't believe in Jesus, why would you drink the, the wine and eat the bread? Why would you want to remember a sacrifice that you don't think was good or necessary or helpful? Now, we believe that God changes people's hearts. He changes their minds. So maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, you know what? I came to this because I want to know this Jesus. I want to know Him. The cross makes sense to me. It's a horrible thing, but I understand I can't save myself. He had to die to save me. I believe He rose from the dead. I'm going to come back on Sunday. I believe it, you know? And you might be thinking this, this might be sinking in today. And if it's sinking in today, the Bible says, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. In other words, if you cry out to God and say, God, forgive me, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ, crucified for your sins, and rose from the dead, God will save you. You'll become one of his. And then this act will be for you.